This podcast contains content and language not suitable for some listeners. Welcome to Oddities and Curiosities, a podcast about murder, the paranormal, and other oddities sure to pique your curiosity. We are Amanda and Brittany. I just did that without looking at what it said. Shut up. I'm so I proud so of you. I so did it. Well, I panicked because you said three, two, one, we're recording, and I realized that I didn't have it pulled up yet, and I panicked, and I was scrolling to it, and I said, no, I got this. You can do I can it. Do it. <laughs> I did it. I'm a big kid Good now. <laughs> Welcome to episode 69. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even realize that until you said it out loud. It just kind of <laughs> happened. <laughs> We're not 12-year-old boys. No, <laughs> but here we are. <laughs> yeah. Um, small town murders. Yeah, when I was doing uh, episode placement, I thought Small Town Murders would be fun since it's right before Thanksgiving. <laughs> Actually, this one was really, really fun. So yeah. I'm glad that you threw this one in here. Because lots of us come from small towns. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was mm-hmm. born in a small, small town. town. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he can probably sing it way better than we just... Oh, for sure. For he sure. caught me off guard. I wasn't ready. <laughs> I wasn't either, really. It just kind of came out. well um you know (laughs) i don't even know where to go with this it is what it is it's hump day (laughs) yeah (laughs) why are you pursing your lips like because i was backing that ass up like you had almost no (laughs) lips (laughs) Well, in my mind, that's what I thought I was doing. <laughs> that's great. Okay. That's great. So glad they can't see that. Yeah. I'm so glad. <laughs> okay. Um, What's our hump day treat? <laughs> okay. I was in charge of the hump day treat. Mm-hmm. I thought to myself, hmm. Self. <laughs> Just like that. Yeah. Self. When you lived in a small town, what did you guys drink on the weekends? Mm-hmm. And so it was either <laughs> it was either like some form of Smirnoff. Oh God, <laughs> yeah, or beer. Okay, like that was it. That that was pretty much it. I mean, there was a couple of times that a friend of mine, <clears throat> Ashley, um, would have <laughs> Malibu rum in her backseat, but hey. <laughs> most of the time it was beer. So. I decided to go with beer. Yeah. For a hump day treat. It's a really good one. And since I'm a grown up now and I buy my own beer and I don't have to drink something lame like Coors or Miller. Sorry if that's your drink of choice. It's not mine. Uh, <laughs> I decided to go with our hometown beer, Great Raft Beer. Yeah. It's a brewery. Brewer. No, it's not. Yeah. It's a brewery. <laughs> It's a place where they make beer. A brewery here in Treveport. (laughs) Classy as fuck. That was so cute. Oh my god. If y'all could have seen her face and the way it unfolded. (laughs) It was like panic and then I got this and and then she just still didn't say it right. Then it was all out the window. And here we are. So, um, my favorite Great Raft is Life Itself. They have the different Same. flavored um, different flavored beers. So, today, we're having one that's really pretty. Mm-hmm. And it's Pink Guava Lemonade Ghosts. Uh, thank you. The thing on the can says it's a ghost ale brewed with pink guava, lemons, coriander, and sea salt. And it is delicious. <laughs> <laughs> Your reaction to it when you first tried it is so freaking cute. Oh, it's lovely. <laughs> oh, this is lovely. She's so proper. <laughs> and then I can't but it say, is. Then I can't say brewery. 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 It's a really brewery. bad word. Brewery. It's like rural. It's a terrible word. Horror. I know. I hate those Those words. are crossed off of the list regularly. I can't say that one. Regularly? I can't. 
So I'm crossing that one off too. Oh, okay. I say on the regular. Anytime y'all hear me say <laughs> on the regular, it's because it said that and I can't say it. Oh, my stars. <laughs> okay. Go to the social media stuff. Please do. Just ignore us and go over there for a second. Yeah, go there for pictures, hump day treats, stuff, shenanigans, mm-hmm. and what have you. All the good stuff. Yep. I mean, it's really the only Facebook page that you really need. It's fun times on the Instagram. Facebook. And Twitter. But we only post the episode pics on Insta and Facebook, so. Sorry. Yeah. 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 All right. My case... Is cuckoo bananas. <laughs> is it? Cuckoo bananas. Oh, I'm excited. B-A-N-A-N-A-S. <laughs> <laughs> the case I chose. Okay. I had heard of, but didn't realize I heard of it mm-hmm. until I kind of got into it. Is the Jeff Davis 8. Yeah. So here we go. Good one. On May 20th, 2005, the decomposed body of 28-year-old Loretta Lynn Shazon Lewis was fished out of a canal on the outskirts of Jennings in Jefferson Davis Parish of Southwest Louisiana. That's so much yeah, words. That's a Jefferson heavy first Davis sentence, Parish. ma'am. Plus her name. Yeah. Um, not the are, singer. There are some names in this. Yeah. There are some names. Because we're in South Louisiana, and yeah, there's nice. That's what we do. Mm-hmm. So if you want to go to the pictures real quick. Yes. I have one. It's just a map of Louisiana, but I wanted to show y'all where we were talking about. Everybody thinks Louisiana is either New Orleans or Shreveport. That's not true. Not true. We're in Jennings today in that little red blob. <laughs> the red blob. The blob. The little blobby. It's cute. Yeah. So that's where we're at. On the other side of South Louisiana. Yeah, that's that's pretty far down there. Mm-hmm. We're way up at the top. Mm-hmm. Jerry Jackson was fishing from a bridge over the Grand Marais Canal on the outskirts of Jennings. He spied the outline of a human body when he looked down. Oh. Yeah, that's not okay. Oh, God. Yep. Panicked, he dialed 911. Of course. Yeah, good job. More than a dozen deputies and detectives from the Jefferson Davis Parish Sheriff's Office quickly arrived at the foot of the bridge. Hours later, a dead woman was on the banks, clad in blue jeans, blue panties, and a white short sleeve blouse. Her body was decayed, but showed no evidence of injury aside from a small patch of blood under the scalp. Okay. Fingerprints later identified her as Loretta, known to turn to sex work as she battled a crack addiction. Her death was seemingly due to a bad drug deal. Yikes. Okay. Yeah. Poor Loretta. Yeah. Less than a month later, on June 18th, another sex worker, 30-year-old Ernestine Marie Daniels Patterson. Jesus. I know. So much names. Okay. Was discovered in another canal off a highway south of Jennings. Two men were held for second-degree murder, though the charges were later dropped. On March 18th, 2007, a third victim with a similar lifestyle to the other women, 21-year-old Kristen Gary Lopez, was found in another canal. Again, two suspects were arrested a Jennings pimp or trafficker, Frankie Richard, and his niece, Hannah Connor, but were released due to lack of conclusive evidence. Oh, my God. Tip of the iceberg. That's already three victims. Shit's finna go down for real. Holy crap. Okay. Over the next year and a half, the bodies of four more sex workers, 26-year-old Whitney Dubois, 23-year-old Laconia Muggy Brown, (laughs) 24-year-old Crystal Shea Benoisino, and 17-year-old Brittany Gary were found in or near Jennings. This was a staggering body count for a tiny town of about 10,000. So if you want to go... Yeah, that really is. Yeah. If you want to go to the notes again, I have a picture of all the victims here. Okay. So we've got Uh, Loretta Lewis starting at the top left. Uh, There's Ernestine Patterson, Kristen Lopez, Whitney Dubois... Laconia Brown, Crystal Zeno, Brittany Gary, and Nicole Guillory, but we haven't gotten to her yet. Okay, I was about to say, wait, I don't know some of these. Yeah, we haven't gotten to Nicole yet, but give me a sec. Okay. Here we go. Oh, God, that's a lot. I know. All right. <laughs> so many poor sweet ladies. Mm-hmm. Both Patterson and Brown had their throats slit. 
The other bodies were in too advanced a state of decomposition to determine the cause of death, though the coroner often suspected asphyxia. Great. That's awful. Yeah. In December 2008, Jefferson Davis Parish Sheriff Ricky Edwards announced the formation of a task force made up of local, state, and federal law enforcement agencies to investigate the murders. While this was reassuring to some, the extra police presence wasn't enough to prevent an eighth death. In August 2009, 26-year-old Nicole Guillory was spotted off of I-10 in nearby Acadia Parish. Mm. Guillory was described to have intense eyes, a dimpled smile, and long brown hair that she meticulously brushed. She was known for being street savvy, and in 2006, when she was 24, she savagely attacked a customer with the handle of a sledgehammer. Okay. Yeah. She racked up a staggering rap sheet that was dominated by charges that ended up getting mysteriously dropped. That fall. Okay, I want to know how that happened. Oh, we'll get to it. Yay! (laughs) That fall, Sheriff Edwards publicly acknowledged for the first time that the deaths were possibly the work of a common offender, and the task force more than doubled the reward from $35,000 to $85,000 for information leading to the killer of what became known as the Jeff Davis 8. Okay, so it happened in Jefferson Davis Parish. (laughs) There was eight victims. Yeah. Hence, Jeff Davis 8. Oh, I get Thank you. Thank you. I get it now. Just because you weren't following. <laughs> okay. Meanwhile, the story had expanded past local coverage and into the national media. A January 2010 New York Times article reported on the fear and frustration felt by family members of the murdered women, as well as the missteps of local law enforcement in charge of the investigation. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's going to get so garbage. Great. In another article, the Times noted the chief investigator bought a pickup truck from an inmate known to be friends with one of the victims. A witness later said she saw the third victim in the truck on the day of her disappearance, but by then the vehicle had already been washed and resold. To the chief investigator. Yeah. The investigator was fined and removed from the case, but then they placed him in charge of evidence at the sheriff's office. Oh, my God. How much sense does that make? None. It's, yeah. Okay. And that's just, that's just a tiny wrapper in the heap of garbage. This is great. You are going to understand my outrage and how I fell down this rabbit hole here in just a minute. (laughs) (laughs) Now I'm a little scared. This was intense. (laughs) Okay. The article caught the attention of New Orleans-based writer Ethan Brown, who traveled to Jennings to conduct his own investigation beginning in mid-2011. Through many interviews with families, suspects, and task force personnel, and careful examination of public records, Brown uncovered evidence that pointed him away from the serial killer theory and toward a more complicated cover-up orchestrated by authorities. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, shit. The victims not only knew each other well and shared similar issues with their drug addictions and financial problems, they had all served as police informants. Motherfuck. All right. All eight of them. Mm-hmm. Kristen Gary Lopez and Brittany Gary were related by blood. Brittany Gary and Crystal Benoit lived together in South Jennings just before they were killed. I was wondering that since they, I mean, Mm -hmm. same last name. That's not common. So these girls like more than just knew each other. Crap. They performed sex work at the Boudreaux Inn, a now shuttered motel in Jennings. Got a picture. Oh, good. (laughs) You can't see much of the hotel. It's kind of overgrown, but there's the sign. That's what you see from the highway. It's like one of those photos that they post online. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they don't show much of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Stop it. It's what we got. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's as good as we can get it. Yep. Oh, my goodness. The inn was ideally situated for the drugs and sex trade in Jennings, just off a 400-mile stretch of I-10 connecting Houston to New Orleans. Yeah. Cops were there on a near nightly basis for busts. See, sounds like a four-star place to me. Hoya. Mm-hmm. According to relatives, many of the women seemed excessively anxious or frightened before they disappeared. I cut this part out, but I'm going to go ahead and tell you all a little bit about it. Okay. So when Ethan Brown, the author, went and spoke to all the families, 
when yeah. he was doing interviews and stuff. This, if I would have written everything I wanted to, this would have been like 15 pages. Okay. Yeah. But he interviewed all the families and every single family had a story of shortly before their murder, these girls coming home and like saying their goodbyes. Like they knew something was about to happen. Like one of them was telling her grandmother how much she loved and appreciated all the help that she gave her. One of them wanted to spend time with just her kid. You know, like one of them mm. actually told her mom she was scared, but she couldn't go to the police about it. Like, oh my, it was God. so sad. All these oh girls God. knew what was coming. Yep. It's so, oh, it's awful. It's awful. It was that bad. I mean, they knew mm -hmm. enough to say goodbyes. It was serious. Yeah. Oh. Okay. So Ethan Brown's article made it clear that they couldn't rely on protection from the police. It should have been obvious all along that these deaths were not the handiwork of a serial killer. According to the FBI Behavioral Analysis Unit's own research, serial killings typically involve strangers with no visible relationship between the offender and the victim. Yeah. At the center of it all was Richard, the pimp and former strip club proprietor who was also allegedly an informant and claimed to have been sexually involved with most of the women. Of course. Even with his lengthy rap sheet and allegations that placed him in connection to some of the murders, he was free to walk the streets and talk openly with Ethan Brown about his involvement with the victims. That is so messed up. Uh -huh. Okay. He did end up passing away on March 22nd, 2020 at 64 years old. So. All right. He's no longer with us. Okay. Yeah. Um, sad. I don't know enough to judge him. him so sad I, day for him. Whatever. Yeah. Anywho, <laughs> in December 2007, two inmates told Jennings Sergeant Jesse Ewing on tape what they knew about the truck from the Lopez case being sold to the investigator and scrubbed clean of evidence. Hmm. The first inmate spoke about the night that Dubois died in May 2007. She claimed that a sex worker named Tracy Chazon had told her that she was there the night Richard and his niece Hannah Connor killed Dubois. So, huh. If you want to go to the notes real quick, you can see a picture of Frankie and Hannah. So it, this oh, is Frankie, oh. who's now dead, and his niece, Hannah. Frankie's kind of scary. Uh, yeah. He's got a similar... He looks... He looks he's got a Manson-ish vibe. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. It ain't cute. But it's not. It doesn't... Mm -mm. Uh -uh. No, not feeling it. Creepy. So she's kind of creepy too. Oh yeah, she got dead eyes. What had happened was okay. They'd all been getting high, and when Dubois refused Richard's sexual advances, he got aggressive. He started fighting with her, and when she started fighting back, he got on top of her and started punching her. Oh shit! According to the inmate, Shazon then said that Hannah held her head back and drowned her. So Richard punched her, and Hannah drowned her. What the fuck? Lopez was intellectually disabled and received supplemental security income checks every month. When she was growing up in Jennings, she participated in Special Olympics events in Baton Rouge. Lopez considered Richard a father figure and used to call him Uncle Frankie. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. Okay. She could often be seen wandering near his home wearing Tweety Bird pajama pants and flip-flops. Richard, the second inmate, said, put Lopez's body in a barrel and used a truck to transport it. The truck, she said, was later purchased by an officer named Mr. Warren. She didn't know his exact name, but he bought the truck to discard evidence. Mm -hmm. <laughs> by Warren, the inmate meant the sheriff's office chief criminal investigator, Warren Gary. Yep. The first inmate had also spoken of Lopez's body and a truck and an officer named Warren. Suspicious of his colleagues, Ewing sent the tapes to a regional FBI office. They relayed the information to supervisors on the task force, and soon after he was fired. So he went cool. above. He went above the task force that mm -hmm. he was a part of, mm -hmm. straight to the FBI, and they swung it right back down, and he ended up fired. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Can you say corrupt? A little bit. A little bit. <sighs> Even more shocking. <laughs> <laughs> One member of the sheriff's office, David Barry, was accused as a murder suspect by multiple witnesses. One of them described how Barry would cruise the south side for sex workers with his wife. With his wife? They would drug the I... women with a spiked drink and bring her to their sex room at their house. Ooh. 
Despite the numerous allegations, Barry sat for only one interview with the task force before his death in 2010. Would you ever do a sex room if you had the opportunity? (laughs) We're not going to talk about this on the (laughs) podcast. (laughs) Okay, sorry. (laughs) Thanks in part to the debut of True Detective. Do y'all remember that show? Yeah. Remember that show? Yeah. I never watched it, but I remember when it came out. Yeah, it, it was a while ago. With its first season storyline of murder investigations in backwater Louisiana, Yay. Brown generated enough buzz with his Medium article to land a book deal. So Ethan Brown, the New Orleans writer, the article that I was telling you about that just made him famous overnight yeah. was on a website called Medium, and I used some of that in my research. Okay. But because of all the hype, he ended up getting a book deal. I have the book. I just haven't Shut read it up. yet. Are you serious? It's called Murders on the Bayou. <gasps> I've heard of that book. I bought it at Barnes and Noble months ago, and I just haven't had time to read it. Okay, that's why. Because I, th- yeah. I think I sent you a picture of it. I when think I bought you did it. too. And whenever I was reading that, I was like, "Yep, oh my fuck, I have this book." <laughs> that is so. That is insane. I've got to make time to read. Yes, you're gonna have to. You got to read. Maybe I'll read it during our break, and I can give you all a book report. So, Ethan Brown also had pushback from the Jefferson Davis Parish law enforcement with new sheriff, Ivy Woods, calling Brown an author of fiction stories. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Worse, the corruption that had killed the eight women and silenced witnesses was threatening to come for him next. Mm -hmm. After one of his contacts (laughs) told him that he'd heard more than once that you'll never get that book out, You can take that however you want to. Brown was leery of returning to Jennings to finish his interviews for months afterwards. Yeah, yeah, I would Mm -hmm. be too. Assholes, right? So another part that I cut out that y'all are just going to have to research on your own time. Uh, So many witnesses were quieted as well. They weren't killed, but, you know, things happened and, yeah, it is what it is. Okay. The September 2016 release of Murder on the Bayou, Who Killed the Women Known as the Jeff Davis Eight, featured the facts from his Medium article and delivered a new bombshell. A field representative for Louisiana Congressman Charles Bustani owned a notoriously seedy Jennings Hotel where Bustani allegedly had sex with three of the victims. Oh, shit. Way to go, Congressman. Oh, shit. Amid a battle for the Senate seat, Bustani filed a defamation lawsuit against Brown and his publisher. He dropped the lawsuit in December after losing the race. <laughs> <laughs> Past the backlash from those named, Murder in the Bayou drew a positive response en route to becoming a bestseller. I mean, I bought it. So. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> All on your own. You didn't even know. Nope, roped me in. The lack of resolution in this case appears to be the result of an incompetent sheriff's department and other local enforcement agencies. Yeah. In reality, law enforcement misconduct is so common at both the Jennings Police Department and the Paris Sheriff's Office that both engage in patterns and practices of unconstitutional conduct. In other words, these law enforcement agencies are not (laughs) only unable to police themselves, they often engage in criminal acts that victimize instead of protecting Jennings citizens. They're just... Using their power to do whatever the fuck they want to do. Yeah. And originally, that's where I was going to stop my case. Oh. But then I kept reading. And you found some more juicy stuff? I went down. We're going to talk just a little bit now about the garbage that is the Jennings police force. Okay. All right. Okay. The people of Jennings, of the Jennings streets, trace the corruption all the way back to the 70s when they say cops began getting involved in drug trafficking. Not surprising. Yeah. This proves not to be just street gossip. In March 1990, two local men burglarized the sheriff's office, making off with 300 pounds of marijuana. Damn. When investigators interviewed one of the burglars, he named a surprising pair of accomplices. Hmm. Frankie Richard. Oh, and a man named Ted Gary, hmm. who was the chief deputy sheriff at the time. I wonder who that could be. Yeah. No charges were brought against them, of course. 
Right. Three years later, in 1993, Sheriff Dallas Cormier pleaded guilty in federal court to one count of obstruction of justice after he was charged with crimes ranging from improper dealings with inmates to using public funds to buy trucks, tires, and guns for himself. <laughs> Great. Ye fucking haul. <laughs> In early 1997, Dateline ran an hour-long expose on sheriff's deputies from Jefferson Davis Parish and nearby Calcasieu Parish who had made illegal traffic stops of drivers without a state license plates. <laughs> illegal stops had been a problem. Mm -hmm. In 1996, a Hispanic couple sued Sheriff Ricky Edwards in federal court after they were pulled over on I-10 without probable cause by one of his deputies. In 2000, Jennings police officer... Phil Karam shot fellow cop Keith Guidry and his wife Christine to death in their home. Oh, no, that is not okay. These, this Jefferson Davis parish is wild. It's this, wild. Wow. That is like a lawless land. Don't go there. Obviously. Don't ever go there, Simba. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I'm, I'm, we're not even driving mm -mm. through. If no, we're, we're detouring. Steer clear. Okay. During an ensuing standoff with police, Karam killed one responding officer and wounded another. So he killed his co-worker, co-worker's wife, and a responding officer. And then bullets was just flying. Dude, this is, it sounds wild. like a movie. I know. It's insane. <laughs> In October 2003. Okay. Trigger warning. In October 2003, eight female Jennings cops filed a civil rights lawsuit in federal court against Jennings Police Chief Donald Lucky DeLauche, several male cops, and the city of Jennings, alleging widespread acts of sexual violence and harassment. I believe it. Among the allegations in the complaint were a captain who shook his penis at female officers saying, you know I like to lick pussy, I can numb it all night. Gross. Put your dick in your pants. And forced oral sex on a female officer? Nope. And a lieutenant who waved a knife at a female officer warning, girl, I'll cut you. Nope. The And nothing was ever done. Uh -uh. The shit's insane. <laughs> In 2020, a New Orleans nonprofit called the Promise of Justice Initiative called for a federal inquiry into Jefferson Davis Parish and surrounding communities' law enforcement, saying the area is subject to a dangerous level of incompetence by law enforcement. Agreed. <laughs> yeah, I would say that's entirely accurate. Mm -hmm. The current Jefferson Davis Parish Sheriff's Office. That is so many Fs. <laughs> we, need, we need to abbreviate. Yeah. Hold on. This now. is a lot. Let me just read this. I didn't even realize how much was in this dude's name, too. The current Jefferson Davis <laughs> Parish Sheriff's Office Chief Deputy Chris Ivey <laughs> released a statement saying, I did it. <laughs> no, that's not what the statement said. Um, this is something that happened 20 years ago, and none of the people involved work for us, so I don't think we have anything to do with it. What the fuck? Sir? Sir. Sir. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> fuck off. Yeah. Kindly fuck off. Yes. So, the Jeff Davis eight murders remain unsolved. No. It shouldn't matter that these eight young women were sex workers or struggled with drug addiction. Nope. Their lives still mattered. But law enforcement in the town where they were murdered seemed to have discarded them like trash. The letter from the Promise of Justice Initiative to the Justice Department stated, quote, The Jefferson Davis Parish law enforcement agencies and leadership have a long tradition of misconduct and corruption that has gone unchecked. This behavior has encouraged criminal activity and violence, especially violence against women, to flourish in this region, end quote. Mm. Here's hoping the person or people that killed these women will one day be brought to justice. The oh. end. Good grief. It's so garbage. Like, the more I read All and the more it. I read, you have no idea how much juicy shit I had to cut out because I just couldn't put it all in there. I'm processing. It's cray. Told you. Shit was bananas. Total bananas. I, what the? Oh my. What are you doing? They got away with so much shit. <laughs> I thought you had something in your eye no, or something. I'm like. <laughs> that was your blind outrage. So okay. Stuff. <laughs> like. Oh. Yeah. For so long. For oh so my long. God. I, 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 like I said, I'm processing. I, I don't have any words right now. Um. Cuckoo bananas. 
glad that you brought the case up since it's unsolved. Mm-hmm. I hate that it's unsolved. Same. I don't like those, but mm-hmm. hopefully this will help solve it. Maybe. Fingers crossed. Mm-hmm. Piece of shit. All, All of them. them. <laughs> <laughs> Well, well, we spend too much time together. <laughs> All of them. Can you tell? <laughs> God. All right. Back to another town in small town USA. That's, I, I have to tell you the significance of this first. Okay. okay. So it's in Gun Barrel City, Texas. <laughs> now let me tell you about Gun Barrel. Okay. Gun Barrel is a little town in East Texas. That we used to travel through on the way to my grandparents' farm in Kemp, Texas. Let's go look at a map, shall we? Yes. Okay. (laughs) So here's a little idea of how close I was to this and didn't even know. Names are fabulous. Oh, yeah. Enchanted Oaks. Mm -hmm. And Tool. Yeah. Okay. And um this Cedar Creek Reservoir uh-huh. <laughs> is a big-ass lake. Yeah, I see that. So when I would go to my grandmother's house in Kemp, Texas, mm-hmm. which is teeny tiny, it, it, it's, it's probably, yeah, it's smaller than Gun Barrel. Because when we needed to go to a real grocery store, a big one, we went to Gun Barrel and went to Walmart. <laughs> That was the first super Walmart I've ever encountered in my entire life. (laughs) (laughs) Ma'am. It was back in the 80s. It it was a big deal. And Gun Barrel got... Gun Barrel. They got the super Walmart. That was all they had at the time. They have restaurants and it's an actual city. It's still just as small. (laughs) Yeah. But it's grown. It used to be a lake and Walmart. Nice. Yeah. And a vet's office. (laughs) Next to the dentist's office. Oh, okay. They That's were, convenient. They were, like, joined. <laughs> That's <great>. convenient. <laughs> so those are my memories of this place. So how could I not pick this? I've right. had this written down for a while, and I'm so excited that I remembered it. <laughs> so here we go. My case is on Miss Betty Lou Beats. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just the name. Betty Lou Beats. You want to go see a picture of her real quick? I do. I really do. Let's go. There's Miss Betty Lou. She looks like a Betty Lou Beats. Doesn't she? Uh She has that tight rolled perm. That, yeah. (laughs) The bigger the hair, the closer to God. Just saying. That was (laughs) the hairdo, I think, out of every woman that I have ever seen in those three towns right there. Maybank, Gun Barrel, and Kemp. And those are some meticulously drawn on eyebrows. Yes, ma'am. But look how pretty her smile is. Just happy as can be, Miss Betty Lou Beats. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, Miss Betty Lou Beats had an ornamental wishing well in her yard near Gun Barrel City, Texas. She used it as a place to plant some begonias, a few petunias, and one husband. <laughs> Well, all right. Days before she killed him, Betty had begged her fifth spouse. Oh, my fuck. Retired Dallas Fire Department Captain Jimmy Beats. Oh, they were both 46. 46 years old. Five husbands. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Oh, this woman. stars. Okay. All right. I'm ready. So she got him to build the well to beautify the property that held her trailer home. He cheerfully went about the task, unaware he was digging his own grave. Oh, my fuck. He was also blissfully ignorant of Betty's true motive when she insisted some time earlier that he build a shed on the property. She told him it was needed to store stuff that was cluttering the house. Its real purpose was to conceal the final resting place of husband number four. Oh, my gosh. Doyle Barker. Okay. When Doyle vanished in 1981, Betty told friends and neighbors that the couple had had a fight and he took off. Leaving his truck behind, wrote Irene Pence in a book on the case, Buried Memories. Ooh. Okay. So we have a book in this one as well. Yeah. I don't have it. We need to acquire it. I didn't randomly buy this at a bookstore. In August of 1983, Betty told her son from a previous marriage to leave the house because she intended to kill Jimmy. 
<laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, Junior, it's time for you to go. <laughs> I got to get rid of Jimmy. Mm-hmm. Come back in like two hours. Mm-hmm. When her son returned home, he found Jimmy shot to death and helped his mom bury the body oh, in the fuck. yard of their Texas home. Oh, my God. Betty reported him missing on August 6th, saying he had gone night fishing and never came home. About a week later, people spotted his boat drifting in a lake. Empty. Uh Nitroglycerin tablets scattered at the bottom of the boat suggested that he had had a heart attack and fallen into the water. Most people bought both stories, but there were skeptics. Of course there were. Every time we would walk by their place, my dog would run straight to that wishing well and stand there and bark, one neighbor told the Dallas Morning News. Of course he did. There was a dead body in there. Oh, my God. Betty may well have gotten away with killing two husbands had it not been for a few errors in judgment. A few? A few. (laughs) For one, she got drunk and bragged about the killings to a new boyfriend. Oh, my God. Betty Lou. (laughs) Betty Lou Who, what are you doing? Get your shit together, ma'am. <laughs> Second, she turned her children into accomplices, telling them about her plans and forcing them to help her hide the bodies. Oh, my God. Then there was the matter of the $10,000 life insurance policy she had taken out on Jimmy without his knowledge. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Oops. Ma'am, cover your tracks. <laughs> she did not. Some acquaintances called her a good old gal, <laughs> but among those who knew her well, few were surprised that her final two marriages ended in murder. Oh my goodness. Violence had marred all five of her unions. Five. <sighs> the notorious black widow of Texas was born in 1937 in North Carolina, the daughter of an alcoholic tobacco farmer. She suffered a rough upbringing, losing her hearing at three as a result of measles. And claimed at the age of five was sexually abused by her father and several people close to her. She was 12 years old when her mother was institutionalized, leaving her to take care of her younger siblings. Her first marriage to Robert Branson lasted from 1952, when she was 15. Yikes. To 1969 and produced six children. Ma'am. Close your legs. That's a lot of kids. That's a lot of kids. So, after their first year, Betty claimed the relationship was abusive and the couple separated. However, following Betty's attempted suicide, the couple reconnected. Yeah. But eventually, he left Betty, ending their relationship for good in 1969. So, there was husband number one. By 1970, okay, they ended in mm-hmm. 69. By 1970, the shapely bottle blonde had <laughs> snared another man, Billy Lane. Betty Lou and Billy. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> it was stormy from the start. He once broke her nose. Oh, no. And they split less than a year later. Okay. But after the divorce, Billy appeared one night at Betty's house. Her story is that he saw her at a bar with another man. Flew into her rage, followed her home, and threatened to kill her. Oh, my goodness. His story was that she had called him and begged him to come over. When okay. he got there, she pulled a gun. Okay. Which, I don't know which one you want to believe, but um, he's the one that ended up with a couple of bullets in him. So, mm. she told the police he had come raging to her door and she had no choice but to take a few shots in self-defense. They didn't buy her story and they arrested her. Where are all your children? Where are they? I don't know. <sighs> Betty Lou. We do talk th- about them a little bit. Okay. But not a whole lot. And then, in another bizarre twist, Billy volunteered to sign an affidavit saying that her story, that he had threatened her, was the real one. She pleaded guilty to a lesser charge, misdemeanor of aggravated assault. And then, even weirder, he asked her to marry him again. These people are batshit. <laughs> she she should have stayed with him. Yeah. She should have stayed with those. Like, he loved her for her crazy. He didn't give a fuck. Oh, my God. But they only lasted for a month. So, they got divorced again. <laughs> In 1973, Betty, who had been working in a topless bar, found another hubby, salesman Ronnie Threckled. <laughs> Threckled. That is so hard to say. Threckled. That's a terrible last name. <laughs> Threckled. Threckled. Thre- I don't even know. 
Freckled. <laughs> freckled. Ronnie Freckled. Freckled. Her attempt to run him over with her car may have had something to do with the dissolution of the marriage, which lasted about five years. <laughs> this bitch. I'm telling you. I was like, I have to do this. I have. It's, there's more. <laughs> this is insane. It's insane. Within a few months of his escape, Betty was Texas two-stepping down the aisle. Yep. In 1979, she married her fourth husband, Doyle Wayne Barker. Her marriage to Barker was again short-lived in 1982. He mysteriously vanished. What is with this woman? <laughs> I don't know. I never got a why. I, I don't know why she's so batshit crazy. To quote... 10 things I hate about you. Oh, what is with this chick? Does she have beer flavored nipples or something? <laughs> Apparently. I don't know. She's oh got to be really good in the bed. I don't know. Something. What are you doing, Betty Lou? She, she's got some flavors. Besides the murdery thing. Yeah. <laughs> we, yeah, that's obvious. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But before his murder, she had told one of her married daughters, Shirley Thompson of her plan. After the deed was done, Betty called Shirley and demanded that she help her bury the body in the yard. Shirley. Shirley. Talk some sense into your Shirley, mama. Shirley, surely you have more sense Shirley, than Shirley. that. Shirley, Shirley. Shirley, Shirley. Ma'am. <laughs> Ma'am. I just spilled it down my arm. It's okay. My sleeve caught it. Are you getting sloppy already? No, it's just, it's. I was used to this one and I forgot I had a full one. I was talking. This bitch, is, look. Okay. It's insane. It is insane. All right. So there's Shirley. Eight months later, she exchanged vows again, this time with Jimmy. What's wrong with these men, by the way? <laughs> Do they, they don't vet her very much, apparently. Mm. Ask questions, people. Get Knowing to know. Knowing their background is good. Get to know the people you're marrying. Mm-hmm. You might want to know why their previous marriages ended and how. Yeah. There's a pattern. Okay, there's a pattern. Maybe add the question, how many of your significant others have you killed? You know? No, that's too forward. How many are still alive? Oh, yeah, I like it. I like it. Then you can go into finding oh, yeah. out more details. Start okay. with how many are still alive. A little more subtle. Okay. <laughs> Life lessons. All right, so <laughs> this time she got married to Jimmy. Jimmy. <laughs> When she shot him, she recruited her son, Bobby, no, Robbie Branson, to help hide the body and set his boat out floating in the lake to make it look like an accident. Huh. It would take two years before investigators got the tip that led them to Betty's yard. They found the skeletal remains of the missing men, both tucked into identical blue sleeping bags. So does she just have a stockpile of blue sleeping bags? She, for her bodies? She probably went to the local feed store. and She went to that super Walmart. <laughs> she went to the Walmart and got, and got a buy one, get one sleeping bag. <laughs> it was on the rollback. <laughs> That's what she did. She went to the Walmarts. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> okay. Um, so, yeah. Barker was under the shed and Jimmy was in the well. Oh my God. Both men had been shot in the head with the same 38 caliber pistol. Yep. True to form, Betty tried to shift the blame to her children, but the Betty strategy, Lane. this bitch, she don't give a fuck. Her her give a fuck meter is broken. Oh my God. It's done. Her kids ran for the hills. That's why we don't talk about them very much. Well, okay. <laughs> but it didn't work. They testified against her at trial. Um, she was found guilty. And um, so Texas has the death penalty. Yeah, they do. And they used it. She was sentenced to death in 1985. Appeals dragged on for years. Anti-death penalty activists, including Sister Helen Prejean, author of Dead Man Walking, insisted that Betty was a battered woman and she deserved to live. But appeals and protests. Protests. <laughs> but appeals and protests. <laughs> Flopped. Flopped. Womp, womp, With a smile on her face, the 62-year-old great-grandmother went silently into her execution, 
by lethal injection on February 24th, 2000. She made no request for a last meal and uttered no final words. Well, that's which super I am boring. seriously disappointed with because that's, we could have thrown her last meal into the hump day treat. Right. But that's no. super boring, Betty Lou. The fuck? <sighs> I guess she had another enough events in her life and she was like, I don't even, just, I don't care. <laughs> she didn't have any more men to kill. Betty Lou, what do you have to say for yourself? Well, we could say answer. <laughs> No. No, I don't think I want to. No, Betty Lou beats staying where crazy. she is. Let's leave her alone. So there's my keys. Well, all right. That was fantastic. Thank you. And horrible. Right? Yeah. Oh, my God. Didn't even know he was digging his own grave. That is a whole nother level of fucked, fucked up, up, bitch. Yeah, that's awful. <laughs> yep. It's like that meme... I will bury your body and help other people look for you. Yes. <laughs> that's so, fucked up. But that's supposed to be a joke. That's, it's, damn. Some people aren't joking when they no, say stuff like that. That's true. But I, I mean, I am. Maybe. <laughs> Are you? I'm not going to tell. I expect nothing less. Yeah. You've raised me right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right this week's spooky story friends mm-hmm. it's one that we all know and love the stanley hotel fuck yeah from the shining yeah yeah <laughs> we all know this mm-hmm. i think that's how we got started talking on podcasts and stuff was the stanley hotel was it i think it was our first conversation about this kind of stuff i'm not surprised yeah i really love the stanley hotel yeah it's pretty great so, here we go. It all started with a dream. In mm. September 1974, best-selling novelist Stephen King was on vacation with his wife, Tabitha, at the Stanley Hotel in Estes Park, Colorado. Yeah. Wandering through its corridors, I thought that it seemed the perfect, maybe archetypal, setting for a ghost story, King has said. That night, I dreamed of my three-year-old son running through the corridors, looking back over his shoulder, eyes wide, screaming. He was being chased by a fire hose. Yeah. This was, of course, the inspiration for King's classic 1977 novel, The Shining, in which the Stanley became the Overlook Hotel of the writer's prodigious imagination. Indeed. That's big words. Big words. Built in 1909 by the inventor F.O. Stanley, the 140-room hotel has made the National Register of Historic Places. But when King visited it, it had seen better days. Before such TV shows as Ghost Hunters made spirit hunting something of a national sport, the Grand Hotel <laughs> was dogged by the rumor that it was haunted. The fact came, paradoxically, a draw after The Shining put it on the map. Why did that sentence sound awkward? Because it was a lot of proper words. <sighs> I'm not proper. Okay. <laughs> Today, the management plays up the hotel's reputation by offering access to a resident psychic day and night tours and family tours. A resident psychic. I didn't know that. I'm here for that shit. Well, now we really have to go. Oh, yeah. Oh, we can go visit Mary. Hi, Mary. Oh, yeah. yeah, And Matt. Hi, Matt. The Matt that I met? Yeah. Sweet. Yeah, we can go visit them in Colorado, and we can just take a little trip to Estes Park. It's not that far. A couple hours. I'm excited. Mm -hmm. Let's do it. Yeah, it didn't click who you were talking about until you said Matt, and I was like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. (laughs) My hometown friends. Yeah. (laughs) Unlike Jack Torrance, visitors probably won't find a decomposing lady in room 217's bathtub, but the room is said to be home to the ghost of Elizabeth Wilson, a former maid known to climb into bed between unmarried couples. Oh, honey. Is she throuffling? Oh, she's trying. Is she trying trying to to keep them from being dirty? That's probably more likely. I don't know. (laughs) Something. Menage a toi. (laughs) (laughs) Other ghosts include Paul, the hotel's former maintenance man, who still enforces the hotel's strict 11 p.m. curfew by telling night owls to get out. What? A humming spirit named Lucy prowls the concert hall, and a wraith called Eddie is known as a Lothario, stroking female patrons' hair (laughs) and kissing their cheeks. Aww. Once called the Stinky Man, he has (laughs) since presumably found the spectral equivalent of soap. (laughs) 
That was a good one, Life Magazine. All oh, right. I like that. I don't mind the stroke in the hair thing and give me a little night kiss. Tucking me in. So you want the horny ghost? It didn't say he was inappropriate. It said he was a Lothario. He's a slut. He's a slut. But all ghost. he did was stroke He's the a hair and give me a ghost. kiss. And then when he sees you enjoy that, then what's he going to do? I don't know. You nasty. I, I wasn't saying it like that. And he Ew. used to stink. And he used to stink. Well, apparently he got enough, like, stank faces at him. <laughs> well, <laughs> I have one more tiny paragraph. Oh, I thought you were done. <laughs> yeah. More than King's archetypal place for a ghost story... The Stanley is, according to former in-house paranormal investigator Lisa Nyhart, a Disneyland for spirits. <laughs> oh, I like that. The end. Well, let's go to the Disneyland for spirits. I want to. Okay, so I listened to this other podcast called Two Girls, One Ghost. Yeah. And one of the podcasters went to the Stanley Hotel mm -hmm. for her honeymoon. Oh, my God. <laughs> and I would love to. I'm so jelly. Yeah. I would love to do that. Mm -hmm. That's great. I'm I'm jealous too. And for her honeymoon. Yep. Good job, hubby. Super sweet. Yep. Yep. Married a good one. All right. Oh, <sighs> and I realized I made mention in the middle of my story about a break. I just want to remind you guys that that's coming up, our oh, yeah. little winter break that we take. So we'll have... Let's see. How many more episodes do two. we have? We have two more episodes to come out, and then we'll be taking a break for the month of December. Yep. But we'll be back. We'll be back in January. Promise. Mm -hmm. Just a couple weeks for us to do Christmas with our kiddos. Yeah. You mm -hmm. know. It's it's a busy time of year. Yep. So And plus, it gives us a chance to regroup mentally. Yes. And bring y'all back the good shit. Yeah. Be nice and fresh for ya. So fresh and so clean. Clean, clean. <laughs> mm-hmm. Ain't nobody to face Okay. Yeah. Well, <laughs> after that racket in your ears. Mm-hmm. Don't forget the socials. We'll keep you company during our break. We're not going to disappear. Oh, yeah. We get bored. We'll post stuff. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> and if you guys have any episode ideas, hump day treat ideas, now would that, be a good time. Yeah. Yep. So we can get them geared up for season four. Fuck. Four. That's pretty We've badass. been around long enough to do a season four. I like it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Makes me feel accomplished. <laughs> I have done something with my life. Right? <laughs> okay. Okay, guys. So, yeah, keep in touch. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Since that's tomorrow. Feast day. That's yeah. what my son calls it, feast day. I'm, I'm so ready. I'm, his, I'm his so only, hungry. His only feast day request this year was carrots. So I want pumpkin parfaits. Duly noted. It's that good. All right. <laughs> That's all I got. Yeah, I'm going to go now. All right, bye, friends. Bye. Thanks for hanging out with us. Don't forget to visit us on Facebook and Instagram for episode picks and announcements. Please rate and review on Apple, Spotify, and Facebook. We want to give a huge shout-out to Stephen Goetzke for editing, Craig Weaver for music, and our very own Amanda Hagens for art. We'll talk at you next week.